At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Now, I want to begin this morning with a bit of an object lesson. Are you guys ready? We're going to do some show and tell here. Are you guys ready? Okay, here we go. These are tomato seeds. Right here. You got that? Tomato seeds. Okay, everybody with me. Can you say what they are? Excellent. Okay. Now, this... Is a nice juicy tomato, isn't it? You getting a little hungry? Tastes good, doesn't it? This is a full-grown tomato. I'm going to keep it right here for just a moment. One has potential. The seed has potential. The other, this guy's reached his potential. One has potential, the other has reached its potential. One has yet to produce, the other has become fruitful. Now, for some of you here this morning, you would say, Pastor, it's not a fruit. It's a tomato. I did a little research, and I want you to know, it is, in fact, a fruit. Just rest in that, okay? Now, that's beside the point. That is a quick aside. But what we need to know is that the difference from these two items, from the tomato plant seeds or from the tomato itself, is that they are different in just about every way imaginable. When I held up that little bag of seeds, it shakes and a little else. When I hold up the tomato, it looks different than seeds. It smells different than seeds, and I can guarantee you it even tastes different than seeds. So whether you're talking about kind of slicing that tomato up and putting it on a burger, whether you're talking about chopping up this tomato and putting it in a salad, dicing that thing up and putting it in some fresh salsa, the reality is a fresh, juicy tomato is vastly different vastly different than the seed of the tomato plant. Now, you would say, well, Pastor, thank you for stating the obvious. It's an illustration for us to see something that God is calling you and me to experience in our own lives. So I begin the sermon by stating the obvious, that actual fruit is better than the seed alone. You might say, Pastor, I got that. Well, we're going to see what Scripture has to say about that today because what this passage of God's Word, it's a very interesting passage, what this passage of God's Word will help us see that we can and should be like the tomato, not simply like the seed. There's a vast difference. So we can and should be bearing fruit for God's kingdom purposes. Now we're going to see what that looks like for you and for me, but first let's pray together.
Gracious God, our heavenly Father, you have invited us here today to worship you, to bring our praise to you, to turn our attention to you, to put aside all the cares and the concerns and the difficulties of our week. We've dressed up, we've got the kids ready, and we got here to church, God, to meet with you. So we ask that you would meet with us as we come with humble hearts, minds attentive to what you want to do in us and through us. God, we surrender everything to you. We desire, as we just sang, to be more like Jesus, more like your son. So meet with us today, God. We plead with you, meet with us today as we open your word because your word is true. In a world that is searching for truth or even casting aside truth, we stand upon your word today because it is true. It is truth. And God, your word has everything we need to walk out this truth, to live this truth by the power of your spirit. But God, as we turn to your word now, we need eyes to see this truth. God, we ask that you would give us ears in this moment of time to hear this truth. And then humble, active hearts ready to live out this truth in the week ahead. And we ask this humbly in the name, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church family, today is part six of our newish sermon series, and what we have been doing, as you know, has been working through the book of Romans. We have been reading it. Now, we didn't start at the beginning, uh, but we did kind of highlight some key important truths from the beginning of the text. What we've been focusing on are the kind of the heart of Romans, chapters 5, 6, and seven. Now, we've been doing that since Labor Day, so if you are joining with us and you'd like to kind of catch up on some of those old sermons, you can listen to us on Spotify, listen to us on iTunes, and uh, get caught up with some of those uh, previous sermons to kind of get you where we are today. But what we have been learning from Paul's letter is that everything has changed. Everything is new-ish because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of Jesus, who is the Christ. His life, his death, and his resurrection changes everything. I hope that for those of you who have been tracking with us week after week after week, uh, if I stuck a microphone in your face, you could say, yeah, I know, what that's, I know what Romans is about. It is about life change. It is about me being different, not because of something I do, but because of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul wants you and me to know. That's what he wants you and I to experience. For those who have faith, for those who have full dependence and trust upon Jesus, that we have in fact gone from death to life. That's happened because of Christ. And as Pastor Ben looked at last week, that we have gone from slavery to freedom. That again has happened because of Jesus. 
And yet, if we're going to be transparent with one another, if we're going to be honest, it's a good thing, right, when we're real and honest with each other. Sometimes we struggle to wrap our minds around that reality, don't we? We might say, I know it's true, I heard it on Sunday, I've read the Word, I've read the text, I know that to be true, but it's tough to truly live in that freedom, to truly live in the newness that we have in Christ. See, the Apostle Paul understood that struggle because our struggle is the same as the struggle of those to whom he's writing this letter. It's the same struggle. And so what he does is he, he teaches us with an illustration. So I want to encourage you to grab your Bible. We're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Chapter 7. He's going to teach us through an illustration. We're going to be looking at Romans 7, 1 through 6. So let's read it together. Here's what Paul writes. Or, do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and she marries another man. She is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Our text begins with a rhetorical question inside of an illustration. There's that greater illustration, but inside that illustration is the question. He says, do you not know? Are you not aware of what happens when a spouse dies in the context of marriage? This is a different approach for Paul. Typically, when you read a Pauline epistle, when you read a letter of the Apostle Paul, what he does is he begins with a solid theological truth, and then he follows that up with an imperative. This is true, so therefore we should live this way communicate that truth and stand on it and then that causes us to live a certain way. He doesn't do that here. Paul's approach in this text is a bit different because what he's doing is he's communicating and continuing a theological truth that has, he's already been establishing in chapters 5 and chapter 6 of Romans. What is it that he's established? That our union with Christ changes everything. 
want to take you back to Romans 6, verses 5 through 8. He says, for if we have been united with him, with Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free, (laughs) has been set free from sin. That's what it means to be new. That's the significance of death in our text. That is the importance of what Paul is communicating, that everything changes when something dies. You might say, well, pastor, that sounds heavy. Here are are three things today that what we're going to see in this text are three specific ways that this death, that this life change brings life change to you and to me that Christ does impact the way our journey is shaped and how you and I bear fruit. And the first way is this. When we belong to Jesus Christ, it releases us from the law. When we belong to Jesus Christ, our union with Jesus releases us from the requirements of the law. Let's look back at the first four verses of our text. He says, Or do you not know, brothers... For I am speaking to those who know the law. They were familiar with the Old Testament truths. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Do you not know that? Of course you know that. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. If she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers. Likewise, my brothers. Like that illustration that I'm sharing with you, just like that, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ through the body of Christ. You see, the Jews in this original audience knew and understood the Old Testament law. But there's a subtle and very large difference. They viewed the law as a source of meaning for their lives. Paul says, I want to give you a new perspective I want to change that narrative. I want to give you a new idea and a new way of looking at things. So he says, remember, a marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman before a holy and righteous God. And according to God's word... According to the law, the Old Testament truth, only death brings an end to that covenant. And so at the hearing of Paul's teaching in this marriage illustration is, in fact, a deep theological truth for you and for me to grab a hold of and to live by that death fundamentally changes the nature of a covenant. 
death fundamentally changes it. When Paul wants the Romans and you and me to understand in this text is that through the death of Jesus Christ, through his death, believers are released. We're released from the law and its requirements. You see, first century Jews understood the law. They knew and understood this illustration. That's why Jesus uses it. That's why anyone uses an illustration to communicate a deeper truth in a visual or tangible way. They knew that the spouse who remains, the spouse who lives, is then free to remarry. And I'd say, well, why is that? What's the distinction? Because a death has occurred, and so the covenant has changed. The covenant is different. And so then Paul moves away from this image of marriage. That's the story. That's the illustration he has chosen. And then he turns his attention very sharply to the death of Jesus. Let's look back at verse 4, just the first part. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So it is through faith in Jesus that believers have been united with Jesus in His death. That makes you and I dead to the law. We are then dead to the law. And this union that we have frees us from the requirements of striving and trying harder to earn the favor of God. To meet all the standards that the law has. We don't have to do that anymore. We can't earn it. But whenever you teach on this text, whenever you look to this particular portion of Romans, there's always this question that kind of nags in the back of our minds if we're honest. Well, how in, how in the world can that be? I mean, really, how can the death of Jesus happen like 2,000 years ago? How can that have an impact on your life and on my life today? How can that be? Look back at the text. Again, likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. <laughs> Believer, you died to the law and all that comes with it because you now belong to another. You now belong to the one who was raised from the dead, Jesus who is the Christ. Church, this gives us the second way that belonging to Jesus impacts our journey and it impacts the way that we produce fruit because belonging to Christ unites us to Him. When we have faith in Jesus, we are united with Christ. This means that we are united with Him in His death and that also means that we are then united with Him in His resurrection. We experience both. This is why in his letter to the Galatians, Paul writes these words, I have been crucified with Christ. I died. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, through me. Crucified. 
I no longer live. Those are terms of death. But it is victorious. It's victorious because he says, it is Christ who now lives within me. This is only possible for Paul and for you and me who believe by God's grace through our faith. That is how you and I are united to Christ in the act of faith. Pastor Chris Braun's sums up the significance of this union in a really great book. It's called Bound Together. Here's what he writes. He said, it is our union with Christ that makes possible for you and for me the greatest miracle of all, our inclusion into the very life of God. Counted in the Son, adopted by the Father, and indwelt by the indwelt by the Spirit, we then experience the fullness of love because of our solidarity, our solidarity with Jesus. So we're in a relationship with the Son. We've been adopted by the Father. We have been indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is how you and I live the Christian life, dying to self and living in the power and in the communion with our holy God. That is how it is done. Now, as a pastor, one of the questions I am most often asked how can I live out my faith in real, practical, tangible ways every day? I mean, Pastor, you have this cush job where you go to the church and you hang out with other believers who share your faith. I go to this other place, and it's tough. How do I live out my faith every single day? It is a fair question, and in fact, it is a very good question. That's why I always strive to answer this way. You have to die to yourself. It's not a one-time dying. It is a consistent daily dying. I have to submit my will before God and say I'm going to die to myself. I have to recognize and I have to believe that the old me is dead. I have to believe that I've been raised to life with Christ. And then I have the opportunity to humbly walk with God in the power of the Holy Spirit. You might say, well, Pastor, that sounds too simple. It sounds too basic. It sounds too fundamental. The reality is it is simple. It is not cliche. It is not trite. And it is not religious. The faith journey that you and I are on as believers, no matter what it is that we are facing, the depths of the valleys of life or the mountaintops, no matter what we are facing, it is a moment by moment dying to self and living in the power of our union with Christ. That's how we do it. So church, we've seen from Paul's letter that belonging to Christ releases us from the law and from all of its requirements. 
But then we are united with Jesus both in His death and in His resurrection. And then there is a third thing that belonging to Jesus does for you and for me. Let's look at the final portion of today's text. Go back to Romans chapter 7. Again, we're going to start with verse 4 to have that context. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. You belong to Jesus, to him who has been raised from the dead. Then here's that phrase that's always good for us to recognize. He says, in order that, so that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But, remember I said everything is different? When you come to faith, everything changes. That's the but right here. But now you are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Is it all coming together? Do you guys see it kind of coming together? I hope so. You know, I began... The morning taking a bit of a risk by showing you a tomato. You thought, that's a little weird. He's holding up some seeds, holding up a tomato. The tomato serves as an object illustration to help you and I see that believers, what we are called to do with the freedom that we have. You and I are called to bear fruit. We are called to bear fruit, spiritual fruit, the fruit of God's kingdom, fruit that is eternal, fruit that lasts. Church, this shows us the third way that belonging to Christ impacts your faith journey and mine. Because belonging to Christ empowers us with a new way to serve. Our union with Jesus empowers believers with a new way to serve. And it's through the freedom that we have in Him. That is the source of our new way. You see, Christ followers are set free from our old patterns. We would walk in sin, and then we would, be, we would feel shame about it, and then we would strive to keep the law a little more. And Jesus says it's different. That's the old way of living. That's what Paul wants you and I to see here as well. He's been writing about this for two chapters. He wants you and I to pick up what it is that he is laying down. He says, that's not it. That's the old way of living. Instead, men, women, and children who have been justified by Christ, who have been made righteous in our union with Christ, now should bear fruit, the fruit of redemption that you and I have in Jesus. It's not something you did. It is not something that I did. It's not something that we do. It comes from Christ. So your life and my life, it should bear the fruit of joy. It should bear the fruit of hope. It should bear the fruit of God's grace, His amazing grace, because it is about Him and not about me.
The question is, do those things describe you? Do your attitudes, do your actions, does your lifestyle show others the newness of life that you have in Jesus? Let me give you a challenge this morning. When you go home today, when you're sitting around the lunch table, or maybe you want to do this in a little more private space, ask your family, ask your friends, hey, you know me, am I bearing fruit? When people look at me, do they see joy and peace and the amazing grace of God upon my life? Am I bearing fruit? I know it's a dangerous question to ask those you love. But ask them if the sum of my life is bringing glory to God. Church, the reality of what Paul is saying to you and to me, what we're trying to wrap our minds around is that belonging to Jesus leads to bearing fruit for Christ. That's what it should look like in our lives. Now, some of you might say, well, pastor, that is such a heavy burden. That's a heavy burden. I I don't know how to carry that burden. That is such a weightiness that you put on me. I come to church to be encouraged, and you give me that. You give me that challenge. Well, let me turn your attention to the words of Jesus from John's gospel. He says, abide in me and I in you. (laughs) as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. For I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in Christ. Hang on, hold on to Jesus. That is how you will bear fruit. Church, belonging to Christ through faith, through faith in him, releases us from the requirements of the law because we are united with Jesus in his victorious work on the cross and then he empowers you and I to bear fruit. Not for our glory, but for his. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.